Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Down the Doors. Joe Rexhold and Adam Sparks here in the Tennessean studios. We've got a lot to talk about today, Adam. We're going to start with football, big happenings on the football front for Vanderbilt, and some some happenings that, frankly, Adam, I did not foresee. I did not think this many guys would be coming back, but they are. Really, Jawan Williams is the one guy leaving. I thought Jared Pinckney was a lock to leave. He's coming back. Keyshawn Vaughn coming back. They joined Kalijah Lipscomb to make a really intriguing trio for an offense that needs a coordinator. That's a lot of stuff in one sense. Yeah, the offensive coordinator is an interesting hire for a couple of reasons. Number one, the cupboard's not bare, so you get those three guys back. You don't you don't hire a guy for one year, but for a play caller, it's good to come in and be able to have success right off the bat. So they will cut that, that. That's number one that they get talent back for the new play caller. Number two is that they're going to shift the offense a little bit because the quarterback. Now Andy Ludwig, you could say maybe he gets out at the right time because he had fifty games he played. He called plays at Vanderbilt, and forty three of those fifty, Cal Shermer started, and Cal Shermer's headed to the NFL. So, you know, he did what he did with Cal Shermer. Um, He's lost his or Vandy lost their best player on offense in Shermer, and now you'll have some dual threat type quarterbacks. So the what when Derek Mason is shopping around for an offensive coordinator, he can look for a little bit different than what they've been running because he's he can go out and get more spread type people. Ludwig, he can, but will he? What what, what do you think? Because we've kind of attributed this to this is Ludwig's offense, but Derek Mason is a defensive guy. Yeah, I mean, what Ludwig was different. You know, Ludwig ran more of a pro style at Wisconsin because that's what Wisconsin is. They ran a pro-style Vandy, so similar to that. If you remember his first, the first half of his first year when Johnny McCrary, a dual-threat guy, was a quarterback, they, they ran more stuff out of a spread look. And, I, and, and so I, I think in back in his days at Utah, which is where Andy Ludwig went now, they read more of a spread look. So Andy Ludwig has been a little bit of a chameleon in the different offenses he's needed to run the different programs he's in. I think they need to get a guy in that will have a little more of a spread look. Now, Derek Mason likes the pro style. He comes out of he comes out of the Stanford mindset, um, big offensive line, tight end, actual fullbacks on the sure. roster. Yeah, and you know they've gone back and forth with that over the last few years. I do think Andy Ludwig got better late in his tenure, or I should say, the partnership between Derek Mason and Andy Ludwig got better later on in that they would change the offense a little bit tweak it to the personnel so you started to see them in one back sets not two back you saw them at one point using three tight ends at a time and then when Jared Pinckney became more of a target downfield they they spread things out a little bit split Pinckney out and didn't really have as much pass protection and they threw the ball more so I think you could see you need a guy that can come in and has probably different things in his backgrounds maybe similar to Ludwig but maybe more a little bit more of the spread type by the way I don't know if we mentioned Andy Ludwig is the OC at Utah now a very uh, actually a loaded offense there coming back next year and he's a Utah guy from Utah originally yep so it makes sense and you know it's funny you're talking about you know bringing a guy who's more of a spread or this that pro style I remember you know covering a spread coach named name of John L Smith long ago and he would always say if you're a spread offense coach you have to do just that you can't go back and forth like you have to be committed to it and I don't think that's the case anymore I think it's so 
saturated and it's I think everyone has taken some elements of that and should be able to you know gear things one way to me I've always thought you know a good coordinator will gear things toward what he has just like you were just mentioning you know you got Pinckney well you got to feature him more and you've got to split him out and move him around and and if you have you know you have x number of good tight ends x number of good backs as Vanderbilt has had then then you use that and so to me, it, the quarterback is a huge question here, Adam, because that would and probably just open up some things in a playbook that maybe that Vanderbilt had, but just wouldn't even think to use with Kyle Shermer. So real quick, I, I'd like your take on where you think that's going at that position. That's going to even uh, apart from the OC hire, that's such a big you know, determining factor for next year. Well, I think the good thing is I think both of your likely starters at quarterback both think they're going to be the starter. Uh, Riley Neal is transferring here from Ball State, and you don't really have a guy transfer like that. He's third all-time in passing at Ball State. Obviously, uh, I mean, that's that's the Mid-American Conference. That's the MAC, but third all-time. A lot of good players in that league. Yeah. Lot, NFL it, players come from There's been a lot of good quarterbacks in that, in that league. Oh, no doubt. And he – and he, I haven't met Riley Neal yet, but if you look at the measurables, he's 6'4", six, 6'5", six, or whatever. He reminds you of a big, tall, thick MAC quarterback. Is run the ball runs the ball fairly well. Most of his stuff, I think, has been around the goal line. A lot of rushing touchdowns in his career, uh, but he can move some. He can throw it. Obviously, he's not transferring from Ball State to an SEC school to come hold a clipboard to come just for the hot chicken. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So he thinks he's starting. Deuce Wallace thinks he's starting. Deuce Wallace was going to be the starter. Uh, I remember I had a story last spring. Because there, there was always the thought that, well, Deuce Wallace may be a good backup, maybe a change of pace guy that can come in and run some spread stuff when you, as a part, uh, apart from your starter. I had a story last spring where I asked Andy Ludwig, do you buy that Deuce Wallace is going to be the starter one day? And he said, absolutely. At this point in his career, he's developed to where I think he's their next starter. So if Andy Ludwig was still here, I feel like Deuce Wallace would have a half a step up on Riley Neal. The new coordinator has to come in and start fresh and, and look at those. Alan Walters was one of the best signees last year. He'll be a redshirt freshman. He'll get in the mix. I still think it's got to be Wallace or Neal. But, you know. And Wallace would be, for people who don't know, he would definitely be more of the dual threat guy, more of a guy you would maybe use with some RPOs, some read option yeah. stuff. I mean, now he's not. Run stuff. Um, I think now Johnny McCrary, back before Kyle Shermer, Johnny McCrary was a, a taller, uh, rangier guy. Deuce Wallace is, I don't know, six feet tall or something. He's not that type of guy. But I would say the skill set is somewhat similar in that Johnny McCrary would break off a 15-yard run he would not break off a 60-yard run. I think Deuce Wallace is that type of guy. RPO type stuff, he can he can scramble, he can get out of the pocket and he can he's a running threat, but he's not a electrifying type runner. So I I don't think the offense would be that different different between Wallace and Neal, but you know honestly, it's you know they have they have Georgia, Purdue, LSU right off the bat. Before Kyle Shermer, this was an offense that had four different starters. Now Derek Mason didn't want to go back to that, but we could easily see both of them, whether they're healthy or not. We could see both of them. Yeah. Now I'd like to know if you have a different sort of outlook on this team for next year based on these returnees. I mean, I have to think there's. A, I I was kind of looking at next year like I mean it's just a rebuilding year, like you said. Yeah. The schedule's brutal. 
and you lose your NFL quarterback, and I'm, again, I'm presuming a couple more of these guys. Instead, they're coming back. So do you feel like now that could be a bowl team next year in 2019? Uh, yeah. the tra- I mean, the trajectory is quite different now. I mean, if we're, let's just count it as wins, as with or without Vaughn, Pinckney, Lipscomb, uh, they're they're going to be you know predicted to lose to Georgia and LSU, right? Okay, so those are losses either way. At Purdue, I think changes with those three guys in the lineup. They can go and win without them. It, it's not an easy win to go get. Yeah, with, I mean Purdue's got a new quarterback, and anybody who saw Purdue play in this town recently, yeah. I mean, they're not they're not a finished product. But you know, so in, in a week two game uh, with Keyshawn Vaughn, and you know Pinkney's good and. You've you've got some mystery to your offense. You can you can go up there and score points and win that game. So I think that's a that's one win that they may have with those three guys that they may not have without it. And then you start to look in the non conference. Okay, if you get beyond that, UNLV, Northern Illinois, ETSU. ETSU's a win either way. UNLV's a win either way. Northern Illinois solid, but you know. You, 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 I think you're going to win that game with those three guys. I think the difference with those, these three guys are your conference games. It's P- Purdue and conference games, these toss-up type games. So, you know, where you'd say, well, without them, they could never beat South Carolina or Missouri. Maybe they don't beat Tennessee without Keyshawn Vaughn and Pinckney and those guys. With those guys, you can win those toss-up type conference games where we may be talking about three and nine. We could be talking about six and six again. So I think that that's the difference of having those type guys in the lineup as opposed to not. Yeah, I mean, the SEC West, this was the ideal SEC West schedule this year. Yeah. Of course, with a trip to Arkansas and then, uh, you know, Ole Miss at home, won them both. Next year, like you said, LSU is now your home game from the West. And you're going to Ole Miss, but that's that's right in there as a toss-up game. You're going to Tennessee. Hey, I could see that team being a five-win so you, team at so Tennessee at the end. So you're trading Arkansas for LSU. That's right. bad. That's bad. You're trading Notre Dame for Purdue. So that's if, a little better. If, so if you win the Purdue game, then you're then then it's it's even, and then you're just talking about trying to win the same number of conference games yeah. to replicate this. And, and look, Keyshawn Vaughn. I mean, Pinkney. We know but Keyshawn Vaughn should get a lot of hype next year as yep. p- perhaps as good a back or the best back in the country. I think he seriously has that kind of talent. And, yeah, and I, mean, I think he's got to be featured from the start extensively uh, and in any way possible. He nearly broke Vandy's single-season rushing record this year. He finished uh, 39 yards short of Ralph Webb's record. He had 100 less carries. Think about that. Wow. I mean, that's a guy – you know, it's it's – it, it's funny, but so today you get the same emails that I do. Vegas odds come out, and here's the Heisman candidates. for. I have to admit, I skimmed down to the, you know, there's like 30 guys listed just to see if Keyshawn Vaughn was on there. I didn't think he would be, but, you know, if you rush for 2,000 yards, even on a bad team, you're a candidate. And I'm not saying he's going to get 2,000 yards. He's got to show that he's durable. But, sure, he could he could rush for 150 to 200 yards on anybody on their schedule next year well, i was about to say accept but yeah i don't know man well that's interesting because some of that also is offensive line and like i look at georgia and lsu like if he breaks 100 against either of those teams to me that's a heck of well a that's feat. what i was going to say i was about to say everybody except georgia and lsu but i mean we just saw i know it's baylor but he can do that in three runs he can be stuffed can. all day but he, he can, can break three runs and get you 150 yards but so. yeah, and, and of course we'll go deeper on, on the on the roster. But before we switch to basketball, that's 
I mean, those are the questions, all right? Is first of all up front because they lose some important players, and then can they have a competitive defense next year? Again, we ask the question. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's a huge question. Yeah, I think the offense is going to be good enough. Defense has got to get better. They do have some good young players, I think, coming up. They've recruited fairly well, I think, to their system. We'll see if Jason Tarver in year two can can make that go where he wants to. Real quick, I want to say why, because people have asked me this, why did those guys come back? Now, Lipscomb is six feet tall, six one. That's why he came back. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I think I'd be curious to see early in his career, he was in the slot. And I think you and I would agree in the NFL, he's a slot receiver yep. at that size. I'd be curious to see if he's worked in there a little bit. He's been moved around some. Keyshawn Vaughn. I still think he's a pro, by the way, at some yes. point. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised he came back. He's probably not going to be a high, high pick. Right. Keyshawn Vaughn, we both thought he'd probably, you thought for sure he'd go. I, I, thought he would probably go um I, and we're gonna talk to i'm actually gonna talk to these guys here in the next couple of days to get their take this is only my take i kept hearing that the nfl grades are still coming back there's more grades coming back i think he was slotted lower than he thought he would be and i don't quite know why um uh, maybe durability maybe some other things or maybe he thought he was a top two pick first two rounds and they said you're a fourth round and that wasn't good enough i don't know pinkney we thought all year he would be really high. You know, and I had a story in the Tennessean uh, today about w- there was there was a slew of underclassmen tight ends that all came out. Iowa's got two that came out early. Yep, Nauda uh, from Georgia is a terrific N- player. Nauda came out. Stanford, Caden Smith at Stanford came out. Um, I mean, there were just a lot of underclassmen that came out tied in for Notre Dame. He's, he's out there. So I think when – I think Pinckney looked at it and said – I could be the fourth tight end off the board, or I could be the 10th. You know, and there's a lot of guys crammed in there together, and I think he may have been told, well, next year you could be the second or third. And so I think he said, I'm going to go with a little more sure thing. Yeah, it's always interesting because, of course, that's fine. You know, you ask, what is the bottom line gain there versus the risk of of a playing a a very violent, injury-prone sport? But, hey, I mean, it's great for Vanderbilt, and – you know, kids should not be knocked for returning to school. I, I hate when they're knocked for leaving, but at the same time, uh, hey, it, it's it's their it's their lives. And you know, Keyshawn Vaughn, yeah, the, I I just assume go. I always assume go with running backs, just because it's just yeah, that that position it flames out so quickly in that league, the fastest of any position. But you know, maybe maybe he could. I, I, that's going to be really interesting. I'd love to know where he would have gone because I still feel like he goes to the combine and runs and does everything. I because I think he's not just a fast guy; he's powerful and shifty. I mean, he's I think he's got it all. It'll be very interesting if he has the kind of year they hope he has. What that would mean for his draft stock? I mean, I guess it, it, maybe it could bump it up uh, significantly. I, I've kind of doubted that you know, idea, you know, but but perhaps NFL skill set already. Um, we'll just, I mean, the, the, yeah, the production is not going to matter as much with Vaughn production. I think will matter a little bit more with Pinckney Lipscomb kind of is what he is. He's a really good college player. That's going to come back and breaks, break a few records and that'll give him some more notoriety. And so we'll see, I think Pinckney will improve his draft stock. I think Vaughn could improve or he may stay around the same, Lipscomb's probably be around the same. So I just, I there were there were weekends this year, Adam, where I, you know, I'm covering a Vanderbilt game on a Saturday and the Titans game on a Sunday, and I'm saying the Titans would take him right now. And he would he would catch six passes today. 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, he would. And those guys, when they were in town, John Robinson and his staff, they were, they went to Vanderbilt Stadium a lot. And I know they were looking at him, you know, among other players too. But, but hey, it's, it's a, a big deal uh, to get these uh, players back for Vanderbilt. It's going to be really interesting. So let's go now to basketball. So you wrote a piece about Darius Garland. I actually wrote a column about Vanderbilt last week and did not mention his name. I didn't really think about it. It wasn't it wasn't a conscious effort. But then later, I was like, wait a minute. I wrote about Vanderbilt basketball and did not mention Darius Garland. It's I don't hard. know if that's good or bad. It's, but hard, it's hard to do. It honestly. is. But it, it keeps coming up. Actually, the, the broadcast of the Georgia game, you know, there was a lot of talk about that and, and conversations with Drew and even and, – and I'm already forgetting who, who was calling that game, but sort of the – to paraphrase, you know, he still seems Bryce Drew still seems kind of depressed about it. You know, there's it's just it's an ongoing, and it probably will never totally die. But I'm wondering if if it's hurting the team that it won't die. Well, I mean, I, I asked Bryce Drew. You know, the, I went up to Rupp Arena Saturday night, and Vandy had a chance to win that game, blew it against Kentucky. And afterward, he got about as many questions about about Darius Garland from the Kentucky media than he did really any player that was playing. And Garland hasn't suited up in two months. And uh, and so, I mean, we've got a clip of what he told me. Now, let me preface this with Bryce Drew in this clip is whispering. <laughs> it's not because he's that depressed. He's not rocking in the corner. <laughs> That's right. um, John Calipari was up, uh, up at the podium doing his presser, and Bryce and I stepped back uh, behind that. He didn't want to talk over uh, over Cal. So, uh, But here's what Bryce had to say about getting so many questions still about Darius Garland two months later. People want to see him play. Yeah. I mean, people in the league, we come on the road, they're like, man, it's like, we want to see him play. And so I think people really wanted to see him play because he's fun to watch. Um, you know, I, the other thing is it's, it's, it's just a reality. I mean, it's a fact. I mean, we didn't, we didn't recruit other point guards because he was coming. And, um, and again, Saban and Max are doing a good job, you know, you know getting better at it. Um, but we had everything rolling one certain way, and we had to really shift the brakes. So it's, it's reality at the end of the day. Um, it's no excuse, but it's reality. And so there, there's kind of this balance there and this acknowledgement of, yeah, a lot of people kind of get that we're not very, we're not as good as we should be because Darius, um, it's not an excuse, he said, but it is a reason, that sort of thing. I think, I think they're in a tough situation uh, because it, it's the reason that they're not as good. It's clearly the reason. How long can you lean on that, though? I think some, and I had it in the story, that reporters, we keep asking because it's the obvious void. Some fans keep asking on social media. Well, because they're he hoping he'll play right. still. Oh, is he going to come back? I heard he may come back, you know, at the absolute last game of the season, the tournament, whatever. And we've asked that a hundred different ways, and it's not going to happen. I've asked it off the record to other people. I said it's not going to happen. Uh, so you've got fans, some fans that are clinging to it. Us as reporters, there are certain questions you need to ask about this situation, and we're doing that. But I will say, I, I'm not getting, you're not getting a lot of blowback from Bryce of, you know, guys, let it go. You know, in some situations, you would have coaches say, let it go, he's gone, we've got to, we've got to move on, we just want to, don't want to talk about Darius's injury anymore. You don't really get that. He, he doesn't welcome them, but he's perfectly content Bryce is with saying, "Yeah, that's that's why we're struggling. You know it, and I know it. So let's go ahead and let's go ahead and, and indulge and it. it. Yeah, 
It's indulging it at, at a certain point. So Bryce which, Drew, which, I implore you to yell at the next reporter who asked you about Darius Garland. I mean, is that what sh- he should do? Should well, no, I think say- at some point you do say something like that because, again, I mean, look, coaches aren't just talking to media when they're talking to media. They're not just talking to fans when they're talking to media. They're talking to their team when they're talking to media as well. And a lot of coaches send messages through the media, and some more subtle than others. And, you know, I mean, like, I mean, with Bryce Drew, after the Ole Miss game, for example, just popped into my head, you know, he sort of had a comment like, you know, we got to find someone. Who, who, who is it who's going to step up and guard that guy? He's talking about Brian Tyree, who went nuts with 31 on Vanderbilt in that game. Sort of kind of challenging his guys. Like, we need someone to be a defensive stopper. And, of course, you know, the guy you want to be that guy is Joe Toy. Of course, you know, are you going to play man-to-man? I mean, that, there's that, too. But anyway, coaches do that all the time. To me, a good message would be, guys, you, it's just it's wasted energy. I mean, look, at the end of the year, wherever it ends up, the 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 epitaph in this team will still say, you know, what, what could have been with Darius Garland, okay? And there's a certain built-in excuse about this whole season because of that. But if you keep indulging this as a storyline, I don't think it helps your – Team, I mean, you, you know, I just, I think it's just focusing on the wrong things. Again, like, is Bryce Drew supposed to, like, actually, like, tell a reporter to stop asking those questions? No, I'm not saying that. But I think it wouldn't be bad to say out loud at some point, hey, man, we're, we're moving on, you know? And there are good players on this team. This team, I'm going to, I'll cling to this until, you know, it's completely debunked. I still think this team is NCAA tournament quality if it does the things that it, needs to do and i think can do i'll play a little brush through apologist here of a lot of times i think it's not intentional i think when when things come up of you know why is matt ryan not not comfortable making shots or neesmith why is simi chatou getting the ball getting the ball more in the half court uh, or had them having to run some high post through him rather than him getting the ball in transition why is saban lee at the top of the key taking shots rather than getting the ball on the break. And all these questions are, well, you see, with Darius, well, if Darius was here, when Darius was here, it's all these types of things. I don't think it's always intentional. I think it's more of, well, we were doing this for so long with Darius, and now with Darius not here, we're having to figure out another way to do it. So I think the answer to every question about, to a lot of questions about why is that not working, it's because it's not working because the guy that we were doing it with isn't here and we're having a hard time figuring out how to do it without him. And that makes sense. I, that absolutely makes sense. And now I'm going to try to do some math, which is always a risk uh, of embarrassment. But, you know, so think back over, of course, you know, Darius signed last year. They're able to do some summer workouts and things like that. So you're able to, you know, you're able to talk about things you want to do. You, of course, as, as coaches, you're certainly, you're building things around him. And then, you know, you, you are allowed some summer practices. You've got some fall practices. So, no, actually, I'm not going to try to do math, but I'll just be general. So you've got a certain chunk of time, an intensive time, probably about a month, and then you start the season, right? Yeah. And it has now been two months that he's been gone. Yeah. I think at this point, uh, you know, I mean, I think I think it's enough time to – to figure out how you need to adjust and to do a better job of it. Now, look, I, and I've heard Bryce Drew make the point, and he's right that, you know, I mean, this roster, of course, is designed for him to be the, the primary ball handler. And, you know, Maxwell Evans is your backup 
point, and you know Saban Lee was supposed to be off the ball this year, so you don't have the ideal pieces to go into other different places. But still, think that uh, you know there are there are ways to you know get good shots, and and there are some players here that I think are difficult for opponents to deal with if they if they play their best well you're, what you're getting a lot is teams are starting to kind of muck up the lane yeah i mean they're daring them this is the, the uh, most vanderbilt teams can shoot the heck out of the ball and this one is yeah. struggling to do so and your 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 best two scores are chateau and lee and lee is best driving in the paint and chateau is best inside eight feet and that's and so if that's your two yet scores, doesn't post up. I mean, he's a very you know kind of guy. Yeah, and I you know I heard uh, you had mentioned that over the last few weeks, and uh, my buddy Mitch Light over at Vandy and Athlon both kind of said the same thing uh, as you in a different way. Is that he you know you could run more things through him posting up. He'd he'd, he'd be a more consistent scorer. The way that Mitch put it was when teams scout Vandy, who are they trying to stop? And you would think, okay, Chateau, but not necessarily because he's not really a guy that's going to dominate in the way that they're using him. Maybe on the post he does more. You have to double the post if he's there. But he's not really a guy right now that is going to beat you on his own because he's not on the break. When he's getting it you know, 15 feet out, he's kind of creating for other people. But he's not necessarily a guy that's going to go get 25 in one particular way, in one skill. Yeah, I mean, he gets a head of steam going, and he's tough to keep away from the rim, and he's, a like you said, tremendous passer. I mean, he does some things that you're just like, wow. But, yeah, I mean, if you put him in the post, with his vision and his ability to pass, you put him in the post, and with his athleticism, I mean, he, he should be able to go in there and do damage and draw more defense, and then get open shots. Inside-out shots are the best open shots you can get. You know, but this is an example of why all young players learn to post up and play in the post even if you're a guard like it's a lot so many everybody wants to play on the perimeter and drive and face up and but man he he would be to me a much better prospect if he also could do more things in there and this team would be better off. And, and, I, I think it's worth exploring but i'm sure that they've you know i mean i'm sure they have a full you know feel for what he can can and can't do but man that just seems like a lost opportunity well and beyond that if you have an athletic big sometimes that athletic big says i'm gonna also add a three-point shot which he's tried to do a little bit it's not there yeah i mean if he could make some that'd be great but let's go in between that before you develop a three-point shot how about a 15-foot mid-range jumper no one does that anymore right and (laughs) if he had that now the good thing for vandy is i'm kind of leaning the way of i think he's coming back next year uh, you know, now NBA scout can maybe look at a guy and say, "Yeah, well, we get him here for a year. I can see the skill set." But he 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 doesn't post up much. Um, he doesn't have a three point shot. He doesn't have a, a consistent mid range shot. There's a lot of skill there, but it looks like a guy to me that another year of development would make him a higher end prospect. And you see some of the mock drafts now that have him late first, early second. If you're around that range, a lot of times guys don't come out because you need yeah. to go in the first round. Well then you yeah, it's guaranteed contract is first round only. So maybe he is a maybe he's a guy that comes back. But I mean, yeah, if they're making shots, Lee's getting into the paint, Chateau's in the paint. If you've got Matt Ryan and Neesmith and Toy making shots on the perimeter, you're you're a different team. Right. The Arizona State game is an example. You know, Smith, Toy, they hit big shots. Those guys have got to make shots. Matt Ryan's got to make shots. I mean, Matt Ryan on the floor, to me, hinges on him making shots, you getting him shots, him making shots, because, you know, on the other end of the floor, he, he can hurt you. 
I still think Yanni Wetzel is a guy who, with everything he can do, you know, needs to be more of a focal point moving forward. But they've got to get, you know, I think Saban Lee is still the key. I mean, because he can get wherever he wants on the floor. And he's just, he's got to figure out how to use that to get other shots better. And then also, I mean, he's got to hit some himself. I mean, he and that's obviously not his strength. He worked a lot on being off the ball this year, but it's still different being off the ball, catching and shooting, and now, okay, the ball's in your hands. And make some shots too, please. I well, mean, it's, why, why it's a he, lot on his plate. Why was he working off the ball in the offseason? What was that reason? Oh, yes, I forget. Somebody, I know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yanni Wetzel, would, you know, he could really benefit from a guy who could get him the ball in the right right areas a uh, good point guard with good vision i don't yeah. you know anybody yeah <laughs> <laughs> we could do this the play whole this time all day yeah uh, but i mean yeah there there are pieces there and there's you know there's a, let's look at this either way the schedule is you know south carolina south carolina old miss were supposed to be the two worst teams in the conference and after a week and a half they're the top of the conference and then beyond that vandy faces four straight ranked teams uh, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Kentucky, Oklahoma, and the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Now, the downside of that is they could go a long time without winning an SEC game. The upside to that is you're going to play a lot of teams with a good net ranking, oh, RPI. Yeah. Lots of opportunities. So you could you could play your way back in it with home games, with home wins. And so that's that's the upside, and that's what they got to have. If they have any chance for an at-large bid. They've got to win some games right here in January. Yeah, and this is we're taping this before the South Carolina game. To me, it's just a huge week. I mean, this team can beat South Carolina at home. This team can beat Mississippi State at home. Yeah, and if you do that, you set up, you have some momentum and some confidence, and you set up what might be number one Tennessee coming into your building. Which you know, a lot of orange in that building, but you know what? It'll be a great atmosphere, especially if Vanderbilt can sort of build to it rather than being sort of, you know, clinging to their postseason life at that point. I mean, you've got to win some home games. Yeah, if Vandy is winning, if Vandy's winning going into the UT game, that's an equalizer, or not an equalizer, but it's closer to that being at Memorial. You can you can play the rivalry card and level that thing out a little more. If you're losing going into that, you could get run off the floor by the Vols. And by so. the way, I was so excited. Jer- Jordan Bone is one of the most improved players in college basketball jordan bone against darius garland would have been amazing so see we can we don't yeah. do we can't help ourselves either no. we can't help ourselves either so guess we can't be too hard on them so there you go that is breaking down the doors and we will be back next week and we'll have a much better feel for where this uh, bryce drew team is thanks for listening